Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In, the podcast that explores every angle of the game we know and love. We've got the players, the coaches, the legends, and the analysts that give the sport of tennis life. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and we've got a great show for you this week as American Tennis Sangren joins for an all-encompassing interview about his journey from Gallatin, Tennessee to the ATP Tour. Sangren explains how he battled his way from the Futures Tour to the big leagues, his two improbable runs to the Australian Open quarterfinals, and how he fine-tunes his game and stays in shape for the grueling grind of a professional season. He also discusses being profiled in my tennis life this season, his interests away from the court, and much, much more. Oh, and I also had the unfortunate task of revealing who his first-round opponent was at the French Open. Sorry about that, tennis. But it's Tennis Sangren on Tennis Channel Inside In, and it starts right now. And welcome to Tennis Channel Inside In, the podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network. I'm Mitch Michaels, your host, as always, welcoming you into the show where we like to profile players, coaches, analysts, legends in the sport of tennis. And this, this week's guest is just that. He's been a pro for over a decade now and has grinded his way to the ATP Tour, had his first major breakthrough down under in 2018 and hasn't looked back since. He's made two Australian Open quarterfinals, claimed the Auckland Open title in 2019, and has profiled C.C. Bellis on this season's My Tennis Life. From the great state of Tennessee, we now welcome to the show, Tennis Sankran. Tennis, thanks for joining, man. Happy to be here. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, first off, I got to ask, because it's that time of year where everything is gearing up, it's that push in the summer. Uh, how's the Euro- European clay court season going from you? You're calling in from Belgrade, have been playing some singles and doubles yes. there. How's the uh, adjustment to clay court going for you? Um, I'm happy to report that there's one event left on clay, and then, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I hope the pain is, is done. I mean, it's, it's been a tough slog, honestly. It's been real tough. Yeah, I don't know. I've I've been training hard and working hard and trying to get my feet under me on the clay and and it just hasn't been working out very well thus far. Luckily, this is the biggest one coming up and you know, hoping to play my best tennis uh at that one. That would be timely. Um yeah. but it's been a challenge. It's been a challenge. This is uh probably the most time I've I've invested into my clay court swing where I felt healthy and body's been feeling good and and you know, just haven't been able to put together uh the tennis that I would like to. But, um, you know, we'll see. I, I, at least I've got a good training base under me and uh, fitness is really good. And, and uh, if the clay doesn't work out, you know, at, at the French, then uh, going into the summer, I, I'm about as prepared as I can be. So that's that's positive for sure. Yeah, gearing up for the schedule uh, of a tennis grind, especially an unconventional one with COVID, I've noticed that it tends to just be, are you healthy? Are you getting the match reps in? It's tough to hit the ground running when there's so many variables you can't control. You kind of have that up and down relationship with clay, the U S clay court championships making the final there a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Is it a surface you enjoy playing on? I mean, I know all things considered the results haven't been there, but do you enjoy playing clay court tennis? Uh, I think it really depends. Honestly, I feel like, uh, my best tennis isn't played on the surface. Um, so if I'm, I I don't mind playing on it. It's just, if I'm playing a guy who's more comfortable and, and, you know, just makes better decisions on the surface, then, then it's not enjoyable. Um, it's fine if I feel like I'm in the meat of the match, but some of these matches, I feel like I'm just not making good enough decisions to do that. So at that point, I'm not having a great time, but, but, uh, when the, when the match is competitive, I, I enjoy, I enjoy sliding. I enjoy that it's physical and, you know, those things are, are cool. But then the part where they're hitting behind me and I'm, my feet aren't, aren't underneath me and I'm sliding, doing the electric slide the other direction. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not my cup of tea, you know, losing in straight sets isn't my cup of tea. So, uh, uh, you know, getting, getting over that and, and just trying to keep getting better on the surface, knowing that I'll never be my best, but, but that, you know, I can make those better decisions, uh, when the matches are tight and the, and the, the points get long because it's different than hardcore tennis. It's different than grass court tennis. You have to, you have to do some things a little bit better 
um, and maybe be a little more patient. Yeah, some of the draws for these smaller tournaments too have been just so loaded because players want to get reps in. And you're seeing top players play 250s like never before. Mm. We're going to get to the current schedule in a little bit, but I just want to go into that career retrospect mode for a se- for a second. Growing up in Tennessee from Gallatin, which I just looked this up too as well. It was voted like the nicest place in the country, which I didn't even <laughs> I didn't even I think, think it was took, a poll. It stole the title, I think, uh, at one point. You know, the thing about those, I, first of all, I love Gallatin. It's the, it's a great, I love going home. I still live there. Um, uh, I enjoy it a lot. That being said, I haven't been home very much, but it's still one of my, I've been, I've traveled a lot and it's still one of my favorite places to, to go back to. Um, that being said, somebody has to win that every year, you know, you can't keep giving the nicest yeah. city award to the same city just because it's the nicest every year, you know? So you yeah. kind of have to, you have to move that thing around a little bit, but uh, Gallatin's great, man. Uh, it's great, and, and it's 30 minutes outside of Nashville, and Nashville's growing and booming, and, and um, you know, I think I just saw that there was a concert going on there, some concerts going on this past weekend or last weekend where things were looking pretty normal, which was cool. So it looks like we're getting back. What was the, uh, you know, because I don't think Tennessee is known, especially growing up as a 90s kid, as like a tennis hotbed for Americans. You take that back right now. You take that back right now. <laughs> well, we got some there. great you're, players. You're going to change Baker, it. Yeah. Nashville native Brian yeah. Baker, um, the, one of the best tennis players to, to ever play it, I think. Didn't have the best luck with injuries, yeah. that's for sure, but, but, but an amazing player. We have Ryan Lippman, current, current uh, Vanderbilt assistant coach. He was a heck of a player. Um, my older brother. He was a good player, all American, Tennessee. Uh, was that what got you into? Maybe the game? not. Maybe, maybe not the hotbed as yeah. you think of hotbeds. Uh-huh. But as far as you know, the U.S. being a massive place, and you don't think of Tennessee as a you know, that's a big tennis hotbed. You're right. But we've had players. Um, we've definitely had players, and even in the Knoxville area, Chris Woodruff, Ryan Williams, you know, guys that are, uh, and others, guys that are are very good. So you you wouldn't think it, but there's been some good tennis. Was your brother the one that kind of got you into the game? I mean, growing up there, did you play other sports? What got you? Dude, my name bug? is Tennis. I, I, like, <laughs> I know. I had to ask that. I know. What, what, who he was got chosen for game. you. Uh, I mean, my, my I mean, my brother played and my parents played and and we have a court in our backyard. And so every, every it was just life was kind of revolving around tennis. And so it was either, you know, be with my family on the tennis court and have a good time or, or do something else on my own. And uh you know, just it just fit, and then I liked the fact that it wasn't. I liked that it wasn't a team sport. I liked that it was all on you, and it was, you know, I would I would blame, I would blame little kids. It's weird when a little kid is blaming little kids that <laughs> for for your losses, you yeah. know. But if it's just you, it's all on you, which is great. I didn't really get the whole team memo thing. Um, I wish I had now a little bit because team sports are great. The camaraderie and the the, the friendships and things like that are, are are a lot of fun. But yeah, I loved it. You mentioned your name. I mean, we, we should get this out of the way. And, and I saw the Tennis Life feature where it's like going to a bar. Mm. It can be annoying and, you know, people don't believe you and that's your name. I would imagine, too, that yes. going to grounds and playing in these events, just hearing that word over and over again, you're kind of currently like looking over your shoulder like, you talking to me or are we talking about the sport? <laughs> that's uh, that's exactly how I think about it when I hear my name. <laughs> There's that word again. Yeah. <laughs> that's, hey, Tennis. Yeah. There's that word again. Yeah, I mean, it's at this point, it is what it is. You know, I just I'm I'm so used to it that it that it doesn't really. It's more so people around me on occasion will make that sort of like mental connection where they'll say the sport around me and they don't know me very well or they haven't spent much time around me and then they'll kind of chuckle like, "Ah, but your name is Tennis," also, <laughs> and you're like, "Ah, yeah, that's that's funny that I just got to watch you make that sort of click in your head." But yeah, um, at this point, it's. You know, it's par for the course, really. So were you indoctrinated as like a as a Vols fan too? Was that like, okay, I'm gonna play tennis, I'm gonna go there, or I'm gonna you know, was that a not really no? not really. Um not, not really. We weren't that big of Vols fans, honestly, uh growing up. You know, I grew up closer to Vandy, honestly. But then when my brother decided to go there, kind of we we transitioned into big Vols fans. Um and then then loved it, you know, loved Knoxville, loved going there to to watch him play and went to a few football games um, once he was already in school. And uh, Knoxville's kind of the second home for me, honestly. Uh, it's a great, great spot. A um, little bit slower going to Nashville at this point with, with the growth of Nashville, but 
But great, great to see my balls make winning the SEC uh, yeah. tournament. That brought back some great memories. Seeing those guys, you know, put the orange on their shoulders and, and get a big win there. Um, maybe, I remembered in 2010. Yeah, 2010, we won the SEC tournament, and uh, that was just great. It was great to see that they almost they were real close to pulling that one off too in the NCAA tournament. It was cool. It was it was great to see. I love Chris uh, Woody, the the head coach. He's a great guy. Great coach, great guy, and seeing success from him is is fantastic. You know, full disclosure too, one of my best friends out here is a Vols fan, so every Saturday I kind of live it in the fall. The uh, <laughs> the the pain, see, the, the football the season. The thing is, with the, see, there's too much pain. I, I you know, I'm 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 all for pain. I, I'm all for it. You know, I, I'm a pro- professional tennis player and spent a lot of time on the Futures and Challengers tour. I'm very familiar with pain, but yeah. the Vols football is a different kind of pain. It's a different level of suffering, really. Um, I just, you know, I, I can't really, I don't really understand the whole, like I'm a, I'm a big Vols fan and I want them to do well. And I'm back, I back them, you know, regardless of whether they're winning or losing, I, but I don't have to watch. Do I? <laughs> no, not, not the last 10 years. <laughs> I don't have to watch it. You know, I don't have to live the moment. Like when I know it's going to be an L, like I'm pleasantly surprised when it's a W and I don't have to watch every L as it unfolds in real time. And that's kind of how I've been <laughs> going about it the last you know, seven, eight years, really. Um, yeah. Yeah. It kind of coincides with you, actually, if you've had the timeline right, becoming a fan. Like, you just kind of jumped on board and then the team. Basically, kinda... <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd like to think that it was yeah. Lane Kiffin's fault and not uh, my fault. Uh-huh. Um, well, I don't even think that's his fault. I think it would be, I think if you boil it down, you would probably say it would be fans that wanted to see constant greatness and so they pushed Philip Fulmer out of the head coaching job. And that propelled us into yeah. the dark ages, really. That's yeah. what did it. You know, oh, we were seven and three on the year. Terrible. You're out. You're you're gone. You're gone. And then we then we started a cycle of of the coaching carousel. And uh that's never good. I, I don't I don't know. Look, I don't know much about college football and how to be great. I do know that the coaching carousel thing doesn't work ever. So uh yeah. So that, that wasn't smart. Got to have a secession plan, but, uh, you know, you got Josh Heupel there. We'll see what happens. Uh, but, but, Dennis, getting back to your career, 2011, you decided to turn pro. What went into that decision? Um, you know, and, and it was a grind. I mean, longer than I think you would have liked to get to that ATP level. But that decision in 2011, did you struggle with that? What ultimately tipped the scale to go pro? Yeah, uh, it was a tough decision. But I... Uh, you know, my thought process was that I felt like I was good enough to to get through futures um, and to progress and win win matches and and feel like I at least belonged at that level and and then uh, then I could get better and improve and also support myself um, at least make enough for my expenses. Whereas before I went to college, um, that wasn't the case. I was barely getting out of first rounds. If that wasn't making enough to support myself and. It's like, well, what am I? I can't, I can't, this isn't sustainable. Like I can't do this. And, uh, and if I can't do this, then I, I don't know if I'm even good enough to be a pro. So I should go to college and I should try to get better. And I should, you know, have something in the reserves for, as far as uh, plan B for my life. Um, because I don't know if this is going to work out. And then, yeah, I got, I improved after a few years, I got better and worked real hard in college and the coaching staff helped me a lot. And, and was just able to kind of get better in that in that baseline pro level of futures and thought you know I've all, I've wanted to play professional that's my goal is to play professional tennis and so why not now you know was that competition adjustment uh, a shell shock for you or were you used to I mean because you were you know national semifinalist that last year mm. now you're pro and a lot of players I talk to say it's tough to just get used to losing because it's just it's what's going to happen Right. I was very used to losing. That wasn't an issue. <laughs> no, <laughs> no problem. I wasn't, that was no stranger to me. Um, I mean, I felt like the, the futures level and I mean, some players, futures are interesting because you can run into some, to some really good players at different times in their careers. So you can run into a very good younger guy who's on his way to top 50 or whatever, but he's making some pit stops here first. And so that those kind of matches were tough. And then the matches were, um, former top hundred players were coming back from injury or coming back from, you know, some sort of hiatus to, to get their ranking back up and they dip down and play a 10 K or 15 K. And then those matches will be rough. So I'm like, this level is different, but then the, the normal kind of future level really wasn't, it was, I was right. I was right in the thick of that. Um, so it's just about, you know, 
was I playing a future in the same week that Jesse Levine and Brian Baker and and right. a few other guys were dipping down to play these and get get some confidence and get some points. And when that happened, things didn't go that well. But then <laughs> if that didn't happen, then I would I would uh, make a push in, in the tournaments I was playing. So I don't know. It's the futures are very they're very interesting because to see the sort of melting pot of of tennis players and you see the good, bad, and the ugly. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. More with Tennis Sangren on Inside In, uh, looking at your 2011 start to your pro career. Progression was pretty good, but 2014 is when the injuries started. I believe it was your hip that kind of first flared up, and you had some serious dealings with injuries. Was that a bug that you felt like you couldn't shake mentally? Did it weigh on you? And uh, and I have to ask, too, since fitness is a part of your, your routine strongly now, was it a big mm. part back then? Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, I really, I've always been... I don't know, sort of the physical suffering of, of training has always been something, has always been a part of my sort of profession, I guess, my professionalism. It's not necessarily, I mean, it, I, I, I barely even feel like I'm training for, for tennis. I'm just training <laughs> just because I feel like I should train and I like to train and I like the, the way that I feel um, while I'm in it and while I'm doing something difficult. And then after the, after the fact, um, it gives me confidence and it gives me sort of edge. Um, and I've, I've kind of always felt like that, but I just, I keep kind of progressively, or at least I have pro- kind of progressively pushed the envelope and pushed the envelope to just get better. And so I, I would definitely say that, that I've, I mean, I've gotten in better shape in the last few years, but I was always trying. It just, you know, you're not really, yeah. you don't know what you don't know. So it's hard to, to be your sort of optimized best self when you don't really know what that looks like. Um, so I definitely think I have gotten in better shape for sure, but, uh, it was a, it was a big part, um, yeah, I hurt my hip in end of 2013. I just won my first challenger and, and I got inside the top 200 for the first time and felt like I was finally starting to make a push and make some headway. And then like a week into my, my preseason training, I tore my hip, my, my labrum and my hip. Um, I'd actually done that in school and was able to rehab through that and no, no surgery. And then I felt it the second time and was not able to re- rehab through that. That um, was kind of brutal and was too painful and, and, and I was thinking now it's kind of funny looking back as my thought process was, you know, if I want to play for 10 more years, there's no way this thing can hold up. And then kind of here I am, you know, 10 years later, basically, and I'm like, ah, not a yeah. bad decision, young me. Good job, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Worked out it. okay. You know, hips, hip feels good. Body feels pretty good for the most part. So not a bad, not a bad call by, by <laughs> 2011 or 2000, sorry, 2013 me. In 2017, you had that breakthrough for the first time in the top 100, but I'm just curious if in the years from that period 13 14 on was there ever a point when you thought about tapping out and saying you know this grind might be a little too tough or the body might not hold up did you ever think about walking away yeah yeah i mean there's there's so many tough moments in this career path either you know on the during you know during a competitive stretch or on a break or things aren't going well or you're not winning it's a struggle. It's, you know, you're traveling so much 35 weeks out of the year, just about. And then the training weeks feel like you are still traveling. You might be training somewhere else. You might be training an academy or USDA center or something like that. And so you're not even at home. And so maybe 40 weeks or 40, 40 you know, closer to 45 weeks rather than 35 weeks. Yeah. And you're like, what kind of life is this? You know, is this, is this how I want to live my 20s like this? I had those conversations with myself for sure. I still have those conversations, you know, it's like, at what point do you, you have to stop at some point. At what point is that, is that time to stop? And is it, is it when your body just completely taps out or is it when you've had enough or do you mentally, are you mentally done? And yeah, for sure. Um, when you're not making any money and you're traveling that much. Yeah. You think about all the time, really like, is this the best, is this the best, is this the best way to spend my twenties? Cause I don't know. People tell you, you don't want to look back in your thirties and think, what did I do in my twenties? I'm not even, I'm not anywhere. I had a decade of time and I just kind of squandered it. I tried, but I just kind of squandered it and I didn't, wasn't, uh, 
you know, wasn't doing, wasn't putting my energies into things that I should have. Um, so that, that was something that definitely, you know, weighed on me in, in those particular times of my career. We said, sure. you said something interesting too earlier that team sports were never really for you. You like the individual mm-hmm. aspect of it, but the, the crutch of that is you don't have teammates to rely on and, and support right. you when you have those mental moments. So it can be an exactly. isolated thing, you know, off the court as well. It, it is just by nature, just by nature. It is an isolating thing. And especially when you can't afford a coach or a physio or anything like that. And so you're traveling by yourself and you know, a lot of time is spent. I mean, in the States, a lot of time is spent in other people's homes that are nice enough to put you up, but uh, for housing, which I'm very grateful for, but it's, you know, it's interesting to stay in a stranger's house for a week, yeah. you know, a different house to house and then a random hotel and you're kind of on your own. And yeah, it's, just, it's no, I don't know. It's no real sustainable way to live your life. It's not, it's, that, that, that ain't it. So yeah. if anything, it's a good motivation to get out of that, get through it. The only problem with that is that it's really difficult. You know, yeah. everybody's trying to get out of it. Everyone's doing what they can to, to improve and yeah, it's a challenge. We could do a whole nother podcast on the on the inequities and the inefficiencies with the the money spe- the money factor of tennis and who can afford what and it's just a whole. Well, I mean, I mean, issue. just I mean, on, on, just briefly on that, it's like, well, you know, I've played enough futures to know that that we're not generating anything. Mm-hmm. You know, we're a farm for trying to get players through, but we're not generating any sort of capital. We're not. There's hardly anybody that comes out and watches and and or follows. The only people that really follow futures are people betting on the matches, essentially. And I don't know unless you monetize that in some form or fashion, then you know wh- what's it going from? You're taking money away from people that are actually the people that's that that fans want to watch, and you're giving it to, to I don't know unsuccessful, essentially pros. I don't know. There is no real good solution there other than it is what it is, and you have to get through it if you want to. Yeah be successful. I mean, it's, it's a challenge. It's, it sucks really. I mean, I, I, I feel for, like, cause I was there. I feel for guys that are struggling week to week paychecks to try to pay for flights and stuff like that. But I, I don't, I don't really think that there is a good solution. I really don't. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. I meant just more along the lines of not having to be able to afford a coach, have a team, have a physio, right. you know, those things right. where I, you know, right. money is right. one thing, but that's the advantage that the top players can afford to have. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it's almost like you have to you have to separate yourself while you uh, you didn't have the advantage, yeah. and then when you if you are able to separate yourself because of your game or your talent or your your work ethic on your own or whatever, then you're able to afford these other things that <laughs> allows you to separate yourself even yeah. more, which is which is which is cool, but it it really kind of kind of tips the scales uh-huh. a little bit at at a certain point. So 2017 tennis, you had your breakthrough. You got to the top 100, and it was really on the on the heels of I think five challenger finals. First main yes. draw uh, ATP tournament in Houston at the Clay Court Championships. Big win over Nick Kyrgios as well, playing in your first U.S. Open. It was the first time you really made a mark on the ATP level. Just curious, mm-hmm. what was clicking? What went well? What do you think caused your game to come together that year? Well, it was super helpful that I was that I had been healthy for more than a year. Um, that was kind of the first time I played like a full calendar year, and then. And then I was still healthy, which was weird. <laughs> I was still able to keep yeah, playing a full schedule. I'm like, wow, this is nice. I, I have like some momentum, and and I'm and you know I'm not getting stopped uh, while I'm playing well. And that's that's a big deal because when, when confidence is in short supply and you don't know if you're good enough to make that push in the first place, and then if you feel like you start getting the wheels turning in the right direction, then you get stopped with something, uh, you know, for two months or three months, and you got to go back and find your form again. I mean, that's a challenge, to say the least. So I felt like that was a big deal. It was just staying healthy and able to kind of keep momentum going and keep confidence going. And the wins kind of racked up and and pushes weren't stopped. You know, I'd make a finals of a challenger. My body would hold up and I'd, you know, make semis or finals the next week. And things just start, started clicking. And I started working with uh, with my current coach. Um, I started working with him in, in that period, in that spring period. And uh, things just started clicking. Really, um, I would say probably mentally was the biggest thing, just not sabotaging myself too badly and staying fresh of mind enough to play good enough tennis and allow myself to play good enough tennis. Um, I'd say that would probably be the biggest thing that that I did and, and still struggle with and still can get better at. It's just staying calm enough that I'm that I'm allowing myself to be relaxed and play good tennis, but still energetic and, and focused. It's a tough, tough line to toe. 
I mentioned that U.S. Open, you played Chilich there. It was uh, it had to be exciting for you to finally get to play there. And, and having been a pro for yeah. so many years, did you have to adjust to playing in a big stadium with big crowds? Honestly, I still, like, it, it brings out the best of me to play in front of a bigger crowd, to play on a bigger court. There's more going on, but there's less distraction. There's, like, a... Like things become kind of white noise, right? right. Um, because there's so much going on, and so then you can't really focus on anything other than the tennis. And to have actual eyes on you playing in person, like it, it like brings out like the most focused version of me, and the less like irritated and and. Um, so you like the know, noise then too. So you like when there's kind of a I don't want to say completely well, rowdy, but a little bit of a buzz. I, there. I, I like the buzz. I yeah. like the buzz. Like I said, it, it kind of. Um, you know, I don't like noise in general. Like I'm very, I don't know, anal about <laughs> about yeah. the the things going on around the court. When it's small things, like when it's like one person or one thing or one movement, it's it's highly distracting to me. But then when it's ten thousand people or something like that or five thousand people, it all kind of melts into one thing, and I I don't have to think about any of it. Really, it doesn't it doesn't bother me. It doesn't grab my attention. And at that point, I have the electricity or the buzz of the stadium. And nothing is really distracting me. And it's like, I feel like way more free and way more able to just let go and play the tennis that I, the best that I can on the day. At least that's kind of how it's gone. And this COVID kind of tour without fans and stuff has been kind of brought back to some of those futures and challenger moments where I'm getting highly frustrated at little things and small stuff. And yeah, it hasn't brought out the best tennis in me. That's for sure. When you started to make these main draws, play against players, I mean, you've, you've been in a position that very few have been in where you've played against Roger, you've played against Novak, you've got wins over team. You're playing the best players now. What's it like sharing the court from them? And what's the stuff that you kind of learn, you know, about their game and just the consistency level and being on the court with the absolute best in the sport? Playing Roger was interesting because it was like, I was watching Roger warm up, but I was the person he was warming up against. I was kind of like, it's kind of weird to be the thing that's, that is playing against Roger, the person playing against Roger. It's like interesting. It's like not, Mm -hmm. I've seen him in this situation a lot. I just have never been the one on the receiving end of it. It was was kind of an odd sort of sensation. It's kind of like an out of body sort of thing. Like Mm -hmm. I'm doing it, but I'm kind of watching it happen at the same time too. And I don't think you need me to explain, but that doesn't really result in you playing <laughs> playing well at that yeah. point. So I started that match pretty tight, pretty nervous, not not playing particularly well. But um, yeah, just it's kind of strange to to be in those positions at, at this point. Um, definitely welcomed. Definitely like a, a an enjoyable thing to be able to play against the best players in the world to kind of see how you stack up and where you stand and how you can get better and what are the areas of improvement you need to do you need to do because if you can do it against those guys then it's going to translate you know everywhere else so that part's great honestly and to, to have played the sport for so long and to get opportunities to play against the best guys and especially the best guys now because these might be the best players ever at least for you know the foreseeable future um that's a blessing for sure from there, you went to Australia in 2018, and that was the life-changing, life-altering moment where you, you make that run to the quarterfinal on your first main draw. Looking at it from the outside, there wasn't a lot of signs. There wasn't a lot of, like, buy stock and tennis Sanger going into this. Mm. He's on the rise. But what was it that all came together in that run? And, and, I, and I also have to follow up with, you obviously like playing there. You know, you like playing down there with your only right. title there, another run a couple years later. What was it that brought the best out of you in Australia? Um, I really don't know. It's kind of stars just aligning really just for a brief moment. Everything just kind of, kind of came together. It was a lot of, a lot of hard work. A lot of years kind of went into that sort of just working out. I mean, everything kind of clicked. My serve clicked. Um, I was in, I put in a really good preseason training block and the things I've been working on really came together and, and, um, some interesting, some interesting matches in there, some tough matches. Uh, I, just, I remember kind of finding myself in the third round and playing another guy who had just kind of found himself in the third round too. And both of us are in a really good <laughs> position. Like, wow, I get to play this guy in the third round. And I'm sure he was thinking the same thing. Like, wow, I get to play this guy in the third round. That's yeah. awesome. Like yeah. <laughs> really interesting. And so we were both kind of in this weird scenario where, uh, you know, if you would have told me that I would have been in the third round before the event, I would have been like, sure, I'll take it. Like, bye. That's, that sounds great. But then seeing, you know, my matchup, I was like, okay, you really should try to get through this one because that would be, you know, be really cool to 
to lose the team in the round of 16. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That'd be awesome. And then I did. And I felt, you know, I was proud of that because that was a, you know, that wasn't one of those matches where it's like, ah, if I lose, it's, you know, it's, you know, I'm playing a top 10 guy. You know, it was kind of like another guy that was like 70. It's like world. house money. Okay. You got there. Yeah. I think I can, I think that would, that would be sick. And then, uh-huh. and then playing team. I don't, I remember I broke him in his first service game. He kind of came out a little slow. And I thought after the, after that first game, I was like, you know what? Why not? Why yeah. not? I mean, I'm serving well enough. I, I kind of won the first set just off that break and was serving really well and was just kind of holding pretty, pretty routinely. So I, you know, in like 22 minutes, I'd won the first set six, four. And I'm like, okay, well, shoot. Like, if I can do that two more times, then, then, you know, I might somehow manage to sneak out of this thing. That would be crazy. And so it just, I, I don't know, just worked out, just worked out. And then, you know, it almost, I feel like I was really close to winning that quarterfinal match too. I know it was in straight sets, but he was, uh, Chung is, he's had some tough injury goes as of late, but he's a heck of a player, a heck of a, heck of a baseliner. Yeah. But he had a, he had that blister on his foot and, and, I had the second set break. I think it was up four two in the second set breaker. And I thought after the match and after him having to retire, I was like, man, if I could have won that second set breaker, that could have changed everything. I mean, mm-hmm. I could have could have turned it into a more physical match. And and I don't know if he had the if his body would have would have held up at that point. And so I was thinking, I was kind of kicking myself, like, shoot, like what kind of seemed like, oh man, you know, good run, tough match. Would have been like, shoot, if you could have just buckled down a little bit there, you could have found yourself in the semis. Like so I, I kind of thought about that in the in the 2020 run too, just like to not sell yourself short, even if you are like right. in a place that that is satisfying. It's like you don't know. You could there could be more more meat on the on the bone there. Did you find expectations kind of building? Because I know your story isn't isn't unique to you. That there's usually some struggles after that first breakthrough. That you have that run yeah. in Australia, and it takes a couple tournaments, a couple months to find your groove again. Did you find that there was more pressure? I, I mean, not really, honestly, I, I had some, I had some, some arm issues there uh, that I was dealing with during the tournament. I had a stress reaction in my humerus in my right arm. And so that's like swelling and edema in the bone, which just made playing super painful. And I kept playing through it thinking that I was going to get better and that it would improve, which was my mentality always during futures and challengers, because you're not getting much help out there. And, and it's like, well, if you stopped every time you're in pain, you're not going to be playing much because you're in pain a lot. And that's just kind of the nature of the game. Um, so I just kind of figured that I'd, that I'd get over it. And I never did. And I kept playing on and playing on it and it wouldn't get better. I'd be in a lot of pain. And I had a couple good weeks in there, I guess, in the Houston final and, and uh, a couple wins, but, but like the clay, when I got over here for the clay court swing, I was, you know, it was not good. And finally got an MRI on it. that showed like, you know, all the swelling and stuff that I had been playing on. I was like, you idiot. Why did you do that a lot sooner? Take a month off, do the rehab and the training to get it better. And then you wouldn't have suffered for five months and then you would be shorter for you to, to come back on. Like, why would you do that? And so that, that, that the rest of the year was especially like late spring and summer and fall was just kind of like dealing with that and trying to get that better. And, and, uh, I felt like I, I was a little bit frustrated because I felt like I was playing really well. And I didn't really get a chance to see how much I could kind of continue on that sort of run after, after Australia. And, and um, you know, it is tough because you do put more expectation on yourself when maybe there wasn't that expectation before. And yeah, but I mean, I th- feel like there's always, there's always challenge. Either you don't have confidence and you're trying to find it, or you have a lot of confidence and the expectation rises. Yeah. And then there's something like, like it's almost human nature to find some sort of like, bone to pick with yourself some sort of thing to to kind of work through in 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 a competitive mode and it's the guys that are able to regardless of the situation regardless of whether you're playing for your 22nd grand slam or your you know first ever semi-final of a slam or whatever it may be like to just relax and and play try to you know let yourself let your tennis flow out of you and uh you know that's at the end of the day is what you should focus on because there's always something you know there's always some sort of struggle internal struggle happening it makes sense to me that you've had success early in the year based on the fact that you seem like the kind of guy that looks forward to the off season and the training and putting the mm. time in it was uh during your second australian open run that jimmy arias actually said on tc live that you're one of the fittest people he knows in terms of just working hard and getting after it in the gym and i think that's more than the location would you agree with that that maybe it's just about starting fresh and getting your body right and putting in those hard yards as the aussies say yeah, I mean, I think that plays the biggest role, honestly. Um, 
I think that and the fact that the surface and the like the the style of tennis that plays well there is super helpful for me. Like it it rewards you for going after your serve. It rewards you for um, playing aggressive, but also it's it's a hard court, so you can still defend well, and I can defend well at my size. You know, if it was if it was the clay court, if we were starting the year on the clay court swing, I don't think it would matter too much how trained I was. I don't, I don't think <laughs> <That's true. laughs> like, yo, I'm in super good shape. Like I've been training super hard. The Argentinian guy goes, that doesn't matter. Dude. I've been playing <laughs> my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> See you later. You're like, you know, and so I think that, I mean, that plays a big factor too, but for sure the, the having, you know, getting that month, month and a half of training in. And then maybe the fact that I, I don't know, I, I feel like guys work really hard, but maybe I'm, just doing a little bit extra to to help me in those the late stages of some of those matches where I'm just able to, you know, hang on just that little bit extra longer. Um, but I do. I, I enjoy the, the preseason a lot. One of the few times you just get to train. You just get to train and get after it. It's Tennis Sanger on the Inside In podcast. Hate to bring it up because uh, it, is a, it is a landmark moment in your career, but the match with Roger in Australia – are yes. you, is there still some scar tissue there? Are you able to look back at it and take the positives out of the fact that you were toe-to-toe and arguably the better player with one of the greatest of all time? I would like to think that I've come to terms with it, but I'm probably going to have to do some serious therapy in about 10 years' time when it still is a problem and I end up having <laughs> nightmares about it because I've repressed that yeah. match so much. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I take the positives from it for sure, and, and uh, I really don't think... I really don't think I was winning that match no matter what I did. Um, it just seemed cosmic, cosmically impossible. Like, like I don't know. It's hard to be that close to something and not have it happen. It almost feels like it was inevitable. Like he was Thanos for, for, for the day. You know, he, yeah. he, got, he got the click in. I wasn't going to stop it. Um, yeah, I mean, I would have loved to have uh, kind of kept going with that momentum. Um, if I could have, you know, I felt like I was playing really well. And, and regardless of that match, I mean, it hurt like hell, but I felt like I was playing well. I felt like I was, I felt like I was a better player on the day. And he was better in the, the tiniest of moments that, that put him over the line, which is why he's Roger and why I'm tennis. But, <laughs> I think you're a little hard on yourself um, there, but yeah. Yeah, you know, I just, I, yeah, I felt like I was playing well. I felt like I was playing well. I felt like I would have given anybody a run for their money. I would have uh, would have liked to have played that barring my body coming back pretty good. I don't know if it would have, honestly, I would have been pretty banged up for that semifinal match, but it would have been cool to have played Novak in that semifinal match. But, you know, I'm hoping there's more opportunities in there somewhere. We'll see. But you know, it definitely gives me confidence, for sure. I like when people ask me, how much money would you have made if you would have won that match? And I go, yeah, shut the heck up, <laughs> sir or madam. <laughs> None of your business, That's right? You don't ask people yeah. what they make in a. What do you make uh, after taxes? Shut up. <laughs> Get asked that. I thought in that match too. I thought I thought you know that whole run. You were able to keep your emotions in check. You know, let's say for example, a player, maybe an Italian player, like leaves the court for a while. You're able to just kind of lock in and <laughs> still be focused on the game. So there's definitely positives uh, of that whole run, regardless of the ending. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. That match was fun, man. I, I yeah. enjoyed the match. I like playing Fabio, and I have have. The way our games match up, I feel like we always play like pretty entertaining mm -hmm. tennis. Yeah. Um, I, I like it. It was that it, I don't blame him, man. Uh, the end of the first set was brutal. It was super, super physical. We were both just smacking the ball around and running hard. And I was hurting a lot at the end of the first, and I kept thinking, if I'm hurting a lot, he must be dying right now. And, and then when he ended up taking about 15 minutes of just downtime uh, between sets, essentially, I was like, you know what? He's probably <laughs> tired. <laughs> I was pretty tired too, so I don't, I don't necessarily mind the 15 minute break there. That was just an entertaining match for sure, and to keep it going with Berrettini. Uh, that match kind of showcased to me the, the the words, the relationship you have with your coach, Michael Russell, who's been on record mm -hmm. saying he's trying to get you more aggressive. You've always been a great defender, especially for your size, but is that something that you, in your mind, actively are working on, trying to be more aggressive, especially when you're in these big matches against top players? I think that's, I mean, that's when I play my best, um, when I'm aggressive but not pressing. You know, I, I naturally like to try to be a retriever on the court, but against these these sick tennis players, it's just not good enough. Um, they'll end up getting the better view. So when I've been more aggressive in my career, I've definitely played better and done better. And it's just not my natural mode. My natural mode is I want to be Jill Simone. I want to be <laughs> a buck 55 wet. And I want to run everything down and play defensive tennis. And, um, you know, 
I want to be a retriever, except I'm 210 pounds and it's not going to, it's not going to go well for me over time. You know, I need to use my size and I need to kind of impose my will out there. And it's taken, it's taken a while to to keep improving that and keep getting better at that. Before we wrap this up, Tennis Sangren here on uh, Inside In, uh, I do have to ask about what it's been like this last year being profiled on My Tennis Life. We've kind of gotten to see the interests of, of you as well, some of the hobbies, which by the way, the uh, the cover of uh, the song you did, I don't have it in front of me, but when you had your yeah. boy playing guitar, that was, I mean, it's, it's good to see the other side. I know you're a gamer as well, but... Uh, yes, what's yes, it, what's... I, have, I have my laptop behind me. I went and bought a laptop in uh, Switzerland because I, I, I lost my charger for my other laptop and I couldn't bring mine on the start of the trip. And after about a month and a half, I was like, you know going what? crazy, yeah. I'm going crazy, man. I'm going crazy. <laughs> I need to, I, I got to burn some time a different yeah. way. It's been a month and a half of reading books and drumming on a practice pad. Like I need to, I need to switch it up. I mean, I enjoy, like I've, I've enjoyed the, 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 my tennis life and, and sending videos and trying to kind of showcase a little bit of what, what it's like, just kind of what's going through my head as I'm traveling and trying to get better at this thing and, and the sport and, um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if the, the content's been any good or not. I've, I don't know if I, it's, it's a particularly entertaining uh, showcase, but you know, I just, some of the, I, I wish I, honestly, I wish I was winning more matches. I feel like it'd be more entertaining if I was like, hey, guys, I made semis this week. Feeling pretty good. It's like, hey, guys, went down first round. Tough one. It's like the groundhog day of tennis life, you know, yeah. but uh, some of the, some of the places have been cool. Like, I was cool to see Rome. For the first time I did, the first time I played Rome was last September and we weren't allowed to leave the hotel room. So uh, to kind of see Rome for the first time was great. And, and there have been some cool, some cool spots and some cool, some cool stuff. But um, yeah, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. It was a, uh, before I correct myself, it was a Tyler Childers song. So I don't think that surprised anybody that the guy from Tennessee was just, just crushing it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was that was fun man that was fun my buddy came uh yeah. i was done for the year and he was he came from the carry challenger and uh torp and uh he uh we went and got a guitar because he didn't have his guitar with him and, and we were just having a good time you know having some drinks yeah. and doing music yeah. stuff and playing video games we took we just took a, we just took the week and just hung out it was great it was, it was kind of like a vacation like a staycation where you don't go anywhere but you you uh you just take it off. I didn't train. I didn't didn't hit balls. And thinking back on it, maybe I should have. <laughs> at, <this, Yeah. laughs> at this point, maybe I should have. But that was fun. That was a good time. That was a good time. I'm hoping to do some more stuff like that here in the future. Seems like there's a lot of impulse buys in the tennis world. Like you just buy a laptop in Switzerland. You guys get a guitar for the night out. There are a lot. Of, I went and yeah. bought a banjo. I still haven't practiced it. <laughs> I, I was I got home and I was like, you know, it'd be great is if we could add some banjo. And uh, I went and bought a banjo. And, uh, I've played it, you know, maybe two hours. Like, I, I don't, I can't, I don't know. I, I've been trying to get better at drums, but like string instruments, I'm, I'm, I know nothing. I, I'm, I'm a complete novice. So, uh, I wish I could get better. I wish, I mean, it'd be great to throw in. I mean, imagine, imagine the Tyler Childers cover, but with a uh, banjo thrown in, you know? Oh. Yeah, this yeah, is I know, exactly. This is turning exactly. into this is turning into a giant karaoke performance too. Like we gotta <laughs> <laughs> we probably clean up down in in, in uh, Nashville. I mean, obviously, you're right there, <laughs> karaoke capital uh, my, of the country. Uh, yeah, my, I also like to think that my tennis career is starting to turn into one giant karaoke performance <laughs> as well. <laughs> a cover band. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, we can uh, we can wrap it with this. You know, 2021 still a lot of tennis left. Uh, I remember, you know, a time yes. when your goal was just to get into the top 100. Now you're yes. there. What are the goals going forward? I know you got that milestone birthday coming up, but we're seeing players play yeah. their best tennis in their 30s. So what's yes. your goal coming up for this year and beyond? Yes. Um, well, my, my immediate goal is to just do everything I can at this French Open coming up to um, try to get some wins, try, try, to, try to see if I can put together uh, – good week of tennis if if the stars align themselves for for something like that also a good week would put me maybe in olympic contention as well olympics wouldn't be the olympics don't look like a whole lot of fun with the amount of restrictions that they have um looks like a tennis tournament that they have the five rings at essentially <laughs> but but that would be cool because uh, i'm not planning four years from now to to be in position i don't know we'll see well you know four years is a long time though if i could do it sooner rather than later that'd be cool uh but 
yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I would like to, you know, see if I can get some momentum and see if I can get some confidence and see if I can get some, some wins. And, um, I know it's not about the wins per se, but I know the way that I'm going about things that, you know, I'm focusing on the right stuff. I'm, I'm doing the right things and, and to have some tangible results from that would be, would be nice. It's nice to have that so that, you know, you're on the right track. So see if I can write the ship, you know, that's, that's kind of really what I'm focused on. You just heard, I mean, you hear players say it, it, it might sound weird to the outside, but you just heard Roger Federer say, like, I'm not going to win Roland Garros. I'm trying to just get myself in position to set my year up. I think, I think similar to Roger, I'm pretty sure that I too am not going to win Roland <laughs> going Garros. Going on the <laughs> Going on the record. Going on the record. Don't tell my coach that. I, uh, I, I didn't ask the, you. Going on the record. Do you enjoy playing on grass? Like, I mean, is it, because it's just a short what we season, play on what you know. we what we play on now is not what I would consider grass. Oh, okay. We, Wimbledon is the slowest surface. It's the slowest slam. Mm. It's the slowest slam. And what what is that about? You know, mm. like they want they want more rallies. They want more for TV. I guess I don't know. Like Wimbledon's my favorite tournament, but it's not. I'm not even saying that I would do I would do well on it. Like what what I consider as 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 grass, but I don't know. It's it's too slow. So I enjoy playing on it. I guess at this point because I can rally and. I don't really have to change my style too much. It actually suits me pretty well with just going after my serve and going after some some bigger shots and, and I get rewarded for it. But realistically, I mean, who wouldn't want to see some serve and volley tennis? Really, who wouldn't want to see people coming in a lot? I think it'd be great, but we, we slowed it down a lot. Well, I definitely think that going forward, as we start to get back to normal, as we start to get more fans involved and everything, we get to the North American hardcourt swing, that that's going to be a time for... Everybody to, you know, enjoy the game a little more, but yourself to kind of get back to normal and, and get back to playing some good tennis. So as long as you're healthy, which yes. we all hope, I think that's the, that's the push. So this, it's weird, like to say, it's weird to say the French Open is kind of the table setter for the rest of the year, but in this case, mm -hmm. I think it can be. Right. Right. I, I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, if anything, this clay court swing has just been a giant training block where I've been able to work on my fitness and work on different parts of my game that, that need to translate play on clay but will also translate to the to the hard court to the grass so you know i think you're right i think you're right i think regardless of how the french goes i think i'll be in a good position to at least at least be in a good position to grind some some matches and and maybe some fall my way maybe they don't but um you know we'll go from there tennis sangren thank you again for joining tc inside in appreciate you coming on best of luck at the french open tournaments beyond and uh, learning the banjo. I think that's the primary goal. So learn the banjo and then play. <laughs> learning the banjo is the primary goal. I agree. I agree. Also, I think the draw came out while we've been on the podcast. Probably did. I've been getting texts. I've been getting texts about about how terrible my draw is. So I don't. I don't know who it is. But uh, we know. I could. We can. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it'll be out by now. We can break this right now because that's yeah. Funny. But, the draw. I did mean, come might out. as well. I think. I think my draw sucks. You might maybe take a look. Yeah, it's funny because it's a Thursday draw. You know, keeping keeping mm. uh, up to date on everything. But let's pull it up for you right now. This will be a, this will be a great way to end to just break the news <laughs> of, of who you're actually playing. Uh, let's find it down there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I don't want to be the one to tell you this, but you're playing. No, tell me, Djokovic. Um. <laughs> Sorry, damn. I really didn't want to, have to tell you that. <laughs> I didn't have to scroll very damn. far though. That was good. I just I've, was the first. I've thing. never. Um, uh, I've never had my, my draw get broken on a podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I like, I look, look, I, I, I don't want to sound brass or anything like that, but I like the, the challenge of playing the, I th who I think is the best player on the planet. Um, maybe not on that court. I mean, maybe, maybe Rafa is the best player, um, in Paris on, on, uh, what's it was Chatria is the main court. Yeah, um, may, I mean, may, maybe Rafa is the best player in the world on that court, but, but I think just in general, I think Novak's the best player in the world. So, um, to have that opportunity. I, that's how I've looked at it when I played him in the past. And it hasn't gone very well. I mean, <laughs> whether, I, whether I think that or not, but like, I, I enjoy the, I don't know, you know, there's no, there's no harm, no foul. I get to put my skills up against the guy who I think is the best ever to do it. That's cool. That's cool as shit. I, I'm going to say shit. I, I mean, I play Novak. I can oh, say good. I, uh, I think it's cool. So, I mean, I prefer something else, but you know, that's, that's, uh, it'll be interesting. Well, you've taken a set off him in a major before, so take that yeah. as a positive going into it. And, What's interesting uh, about that is that I won that I won that third set, and I knew that I lost the match. I knew the match was <laughs> over. I was so tired. 
it was so humid that that New York swing was yeah. so hot and humid. Um, I had already gone through like ten shirts, and it was in going into the four set. And I distinctly remember winning the breaker and thought, "Well, this match is over," but not in like the good way, like in the, in the way that like there's no way I can sustain this level anymore. And that's one of the reasons why I've pushed my fitness harder and harder and harder. It was like, well, if if I ever want to compete with this guy in a slam, I have to be in better shape. And if I'm not training for that, then what what am I training for? And so that's kind of why I've you know kept getting in better shape is for matches like that and so um I guess that's kind of how it works you know mm-hmm. guys push the push they they set the bar you set the bar really high it's like well shoot what am I gonna have to do to get there and you don't even you don't even realize you know where the sport can go that's probably why we've had three of the best players ever at the same time as they push each other but yeah it'll be fun man regardless <laughs> of what happens it'll be fun and I'm saying that but if I go down two sets to love and a break or something like that yeah, I'm having so much fun. This is great. <laughs> look at how fun this is. Uh, well, hey, we're all we're all uh, looking forward to that match for sure. I mean, it's the measuring stick in the sport. So, um, best of luck with that. Best of luck going forward, Tennis Sanger, and thanks for joining Tennis Channel Inside In. And uh, we'll be catching up again soon at some point. Hopefully, after a monumental Absolutely. win. But uh, thanks again for coming on the show. Anytime, man. Anytime. Appreciate it. Big thanks to Tennis Sangren and my sincerest apologies for being the bearer of bad news, but who knows, upsets in sports do happen, and you never know until the final point is played. But best of luck to Tennis on the rest of his 2021 and beyond as he continues to compete on the ATP Tour, and big thanks again to everybody who listened to this week's show. Tennis Channel Inside In is found on the Tennis Podcast Network at tennis.com slash podcasts and on all your podcast platforms. Run all your devices where you can listen to the entire catalog of episodes. To hear interviews with Hubert Herkosh, Shelby Rogers, and many more prominent names in the game. We'll be back next week to discuss the beginning of the French Open with expert analysis of the opening matches at Roland Garros. I'm Mitch Michaels, and thanks again for listening to Tennis Channel Inside In. Enjoy the action in Paris. Tennis Channel Inside In.